In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. I've heard some people talk about you know doing life in community and doing life in circles, yet we break the huddle at some point. And we are charged with being that line, as you described, in advancing upon a dark world. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is for you to become your best by calling you in to the arena of manhood, calling you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and calling you up to your absolute best version of you. Because when you get it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Guys, thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Did you like that part? That was good. That was really good. Hey, I'm Jim Ramos. I'm here with our producer co-host, my right-hand man, Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? I'm doing great. Hey, I'm doing great, too. I am really excited about today's guest. He spent his entire career leading men. He was actually a pilot on Air Force One, which is cool. I can't wait to ask him about this, and served as a brigadier general in the Air Force. This guy is going to bring the heat all the way from Mississippi, so I'm super excited. But before we get into our interview with Scott, do you have a man word? I do. I'm going to guess it. Okay, but this just so you know, just to give you a hint, this is not necessarily an English word. Mm. Semper Fidelis. Oh, my oh! God. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> and it's... So, that's awesome. You it's, did so good. It's two words, and he's not a Marine. So he's what? An Air Force it doesn't guy. matter. That's not... It's So I thought of the word brotherhood, and then I was like, no. You didn't know that word in Latin. A, what's a better word for brotherhood, and have we done brotherhood? And so I was like, Semper Fi. Oh, mm, you, you the gave loyalty. it up. And, and uh, oh. just... Sticking I together. thought you were going to pick that Latin phrase, come and get them, come and take my weapon. No, it's like faithful yeah. and loyalty, man. Oh, I just man. thought. I, I don't know. Is that okay for you to say that about an Air Force general? Well, hey. To quote a Marine hey, tagline? I'm thinking loyalty and faithfulness uh, probably go well with him. Yeah? I could okay. be wrong. I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I, I just don't know if he's, well, I mean, he's, play, he's probably saying, hey, Air Force, we'll, we'll take the Marines stuff. What can they do about it? Pretty so. sweet man trait. Oh, man. Well, okay. All right. I'll give that to you. Right. I'll give that to you. So, hey, do you have a review shout out at all? I do have a review shout out. So last time we did a review shout out, we uh, had Pastor Dreads on there and he just hit us up. Wes? Was his name Wes? No, it wasn't Wes. Oh, somebody no, else. His name was Ben, I oh. believe. And so he sent us a little video saying, hey, guys, that was me. And so that's pretty awesome. Uh, this one is Ram Nation. Rams Nation 99, and so his little uh, top little heading there says, Passion and Progress. 
pretty cool. So, hey, if you're Rams Nation 99, uh, hit us up, and we want to send you some swag. Uh, send us a video. I like that. Yeah, the I like to nice. be able to see and, who and, our listeners are. And for Pastor Dreads, he said that our target is thirty-five to fifty-five. It's actually twenty-five to fifty. He said you said thirty-five. Oh to man, 55. if I said that, I, I my bad. Yeah, I mean it's really not that, but it's twenty-five to fifty-five. So okay, but great. We like we like to target all men. So yeah, you yeah. might be eighty and you need some. If you're uh, a man, help. we want to target you. If you're a yeah. male, we want to help you to become a man. So yeah, yeah. that's what we're all about with the Men in the Arena podcast. Hey, I want to brag about our guest today. This is my new friend Scott Wiggins. He is 56 years young, lives in Brandon, Mississippi with Virginia, his wife of 34 years. Hey, Scott has spent his adult life in leadership 26 years in the United States Air Force, serving in numerous positions of leadership until he retired as a brigadier general, which is a one-star general, correct? That is correct, Jim. Okay, I had to look that up because I was like, brigadier sounds awesome. As a pilot, he has extensive combat experience and unique honor of working for Air Force One for two years. Scott serves as director of staff at Pine Lake Church in Mississippi, where oversees 150 staff who minister to over 11,000 people on Sunday mornings. So just a little teeny baby church. Anyway, <laughs> Scott, man, how you doing, man? Welcome to the show. Jim, it is fantastic to be here, Dale. Man, I can't thank you guys enough. I've enjoyed being a, a listener on one side. I hope uh, I'm hope I'm helpful some way along the way to help my brothers in Christ and uh-huh. other men uh, help us to live out the vision that God's called us to live. That's all. Hey, how did you feel about this whole Semper Fidelis man word today? I got to ask you. You know, we're we're brothers in arms, and so I embrace my brothers. However. You know, in the Air Force, we're always high above them. Uh, and so in my mind, I'm thinking, yes, uh, I'm glad to uh, help the pedestrians who are down there on the ground. Oh, that is so funny. Well, I have some questions uh, about that as well, because my wife's actually a flight attendant. So how do I get her on Air Force One? Man, no, I'm that, just kidding. <laughs> Extensive background. Oh, One of our uh, board members is actually, uh, uh, he used to be a Secret Service agent. And so now... He trains them. So it's just kind of funny, the interaction. It's really, really fun. So, yeah. yeah great group of guys. You know, in, in that role, and maybe we'll get to talk about it a little bit more, but just high professionals. And I think that's what I found when I got the chance to work for a couple of years, whether it was the Secret Service or the White House staff, you know, just folks that are committed to being excellent in what they do. And so that certainly resonates. Oh, man, that's so good. Hey, we're going to take a second here. We're going to throw you into our rapid fire round. <laughs> Are you ready for this? I'm ready. I didn't realize we we're going to be under attack already, uh, so I'll try my best duck and cover and answer. So well, I'll bring it, bring it strong. We're not going to be under attack. You are. <laughs> oh, hey, man, I, I chose for you uh, just being a uh, one-star general, and I figure guys like you are deep thinkers, so I chose the stoic round. So I'm going to ask you five questions, and no answer is a wrong answer. Just tell me what's on your heart as soon as you can, and go with your gut, man. All right? Here we go. Okay, Right now, what's on your heart? Uh, I'd say the overflow of my heart is just what I do every day. Uh, we have kind of an L3, what we call reading plan at Pine Lake. And so today I was in Deuteronomy for a couple chapters in John chapter 12. And in reading in John chapter 12, Jesus said he's the light of the world. And, and as I thought about that, Jim, I thought, you know, he was the light of the world for us then with the Holy Spirit in us to be the light of the world. And so I believe whether it's today in our conversation, whether it's me going to lunch later or going to Target or in my house, I've been given the opportunity to be the light of the world to other people. And man, that's that's a better job description than anything that I've ever done. And I mean, that's just the overflow of what I hope happens today, whether it's somebody 
serving me lunch or somebody I meet at the gas station, I've got a chance to somehow interact them with the hope of Jesus Christ for eternity, and I'm not going to miss that chance. You know, that's really good. I'm in the what what version are you reading of the one year Bible? Uh, we have our own reading plan okay. um, called the L3 reading plan, and basically it walks you through the New Testament uh, Gospels twice, walks you through Psalms and Proverbs, and then all of the Old Testament. So usually you're in about three chapters a day. And we do it on the staff as well as our church only because it just makes for great conversation. So I know the guy down the hall, he's reading John chapter 12 today as well. And and so it just helps us be unified in what we feel like God's calling us to do. Yeah, I read the living I read the one year Bible. It's a physical, tangible Bible. And uh, I was I'm still in Deuteronomy, but I'm in Luke and Deuteronomy, then I do a psalm and a proverb. And I thought it was really interesting that you get to be the light of the world today. And, you know, it's really interesting to me because there is this lie that I see out there that says that if I'm a follower of Jesus, I should be anonymous. And, you know, it's really interesting, Scott. You know, Jesus talked about this in uh, Matthew chapter 6. He said, hey, when you go into your, you know, you know, uh, when you give, give anonymously. When you pray, don't talk about it. And when you fast, don't brag about it. So those three things you should, there should be a, a sense of anonymity, I guess. But in Matthew chapter 5, he said, Blessed if you're persecuted, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. So in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is saying, when it comes to me, be boastful, be bold, be proud. When it comes to you, be humble, be a servant. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think just as you described, Jim, that so many times we can read uh, some of those initial verses that you quoted and we almost think of a passivity. Yep. And I think it's completely the opposite. When you think about the armor of God, not only is there a defensive nature to that, but there's an offensive nature to that. Not offensive in that we're here to offend the world, but we are certainly not part of this world. And so, man, I'm called to take that next hill for the kingdom. And, and there's a joy and opportunity in getting to do those things. And so, yeah, man, you and I completely align in the, in the chance today that we can change somebody's eternity. I'm armed with that, and I want to step into the middle of that. And it can be messy, certainly, when we do that, right? Well, it's <laughs> messy because we're digging our feet in the ground, but we're not holding ground. We're pressing forward and taking ground. I have no fear of ever losing my faith or being one to some other way of thinking because I am constantly on the prowl, on the hunt, uh, fishing for that person to sway my way. And that's what you're saying, right? You're saying, I am light, which means light invades darkness. And so that's really good, man. Yeah, I love that idea, just as you talk, almost like an advancing front. You know, yes. I've heard some people talk about, you know, doing life in community and doing life in circles. And I certainly understand what they mean in the context of, hey, we have to have brothers in Christ and we huddle up. Yet we break the huddle at some point. And we are charged with being that line, as you described, and advancing upon a dark world uh, to, to express the love that Christ has for them. Well, and I wonder, Scott, if that's the problem with uh, modern masculinity is we're so busy huddled up, or we're so busy in our pastoral study, or we're so busy trying to defend our faith that we forget that Jesus didn't. Jesus did not say to defend our faith. He said to go and make disciples. And I think maybe in the church sometimes there's a wrong mentality with men. Like we create these wimpy men who are so busy defending they forget about offending or being on the offensive well and you, you t i mean even in the man card you talk about that you talk about those characteristics of of what is a man and like i said when i think about when i think about jesus there's nothing about him that i think is wimpy 
I think a man that is committed to a vision and resolute to making sure that he's going to do what his father called him to do. And I think that's what you and I and Dale get to do as well. Man, hey, thank you for reading my book. I really appreciate that. <laughs> I hope I hope it was a uh, I hope it was worth the read for you, man. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Hey, uh, besides Jesus, who's your greatest hero and why? You know, I, I got a gift from my daughter's um, Father's Day, and it's this thing called StoryWorth.com. And so, in essence, what happens is this company every Monday sends me a question. They do it for 52 weeks. You answer the question, and in a year, you've got a book that you give your kids. And a lot of it was because I've never really shared a lot of my military experience, and my kids wanted to know that. But one of the questions did ask you something about, hey, tell us about a hero. And, and obviously, I've had, you know, any number of people from my dad to my brother to a guy like C.J. Stewart, who's, who's been fantastic in investing to me. But there was kind of a unique guy. Um, after I graduated from college, I went to work for the Atlanta Hawks professional basketball team. Oh, wow. And there was a, there was a trainer there named Joe O'Toole. And Joe had a sign on his door, and it didn't say Joe O'Toole, athletic trainer. It said, hey, Joe, because everybody always called Joe for help. Joe modeled the greatest work ethic and the greatest completion ethic of really anybody I've ever seen. And he really affected my life. He wasn't my boss. He's just a guy that as you looked around, you saw, man, Joe's about being excellent in his craft. He's, he's about completing his task. And he's about making this place better. And I thought, man, he's my hero. I want to do something like that, Joe, as I lead through the rest of my life. And so uh, not a guy that gets a lot of pub, but Joe O'Toole was certainly a guy that spoke into me. It's really interesting. My friend Wes Stafford, who was the president of Compassion International for 20 years, yes. he took them to a budget of $950 million a year and 2 million children sponsored. He wrote this book called Just a Minute, and he talked about in the book how we, our lives are shaped by the power of something that happened in just a minute. So, hey, Joe, you know what you're saying is this guy and just some, this one little thing he did impacted me. Right. You know, it's funny. I called my eighth grade PE co teacher about a month ago. He's 82 years old now, Coach Biden. And when I got done, uh, when I graduated eighth grade middle school, he said, Jimmy, I never want to hear anyone say of you that you have been a typical Morro Bay High School athlete. Wow. That one sentence shaped me. And actually heading down to my alma mater in about two months to give a football scholarship away. We have a scholarship in our name. But I called him and said, hey, coach, I just want you to know that that one sentence really was a compass in a lot of ways. He's a Christian man. I didn't know it. And uh, it really impacted him. So I would say, you know, go back to those heroes of ours and tell them. Absolutely. You know, you're right. The power of the blessing and the power of a moment. Uh, Chip and Dan Heath wrote that book, The Power of Moments, that really talks a lot about how we as men have a great opportunity to bless others. And the power of that blessing, it transforms people. And, and who would have known uh, that a coach in your life at that point had that power, but he did. And now you're living that out, multiplying that to other people today. Okay, you got to give me the title of that book again, Chip and Dan Heath. Heath, yeah, The Power of Moments. And Is he really talks about how there are specific moments in, in life that can be catalytic for people. And how do we as leaders not only capitalize on those moments, but try to create those moments as well? So is this a father-son combo? Uh, no, I, they're brothers, I believe. Okay, okay. I'm ordering that book. That's outstanding. Thank you so much. So yes, here's the next one. And I, I'm really excited to ask this question because, you, you know, you've spent your career as a brigadier general. You are a pilot on Air Force One. I mean, you are around men that 
come up with these quotes. And I got to tell you, in our virtual team, we have a virtual team with our men in the arena, and CJ Stewart, who's a mutual friend, is on that team. And uh, he is the quote master. He has the <laughs> gift of coming up with the epic quotes. And uh, he's a guy who highly, highly respects you. But what is your all-time favorite quote? Well, I tell you, uh, like you said, probably a lot of them. I think a one that I come back to a lot is the quote of that we sow a thought and you reap an action, and you sow an act and you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character and you reap a destiny. Um, uh, Stephen Covey has it in his book. I believe what he did is he quoted Ralph Waldo Emerson. But it's just that that idea that from the smallest thing, it can become the biggest thing. And everything that we do matters. And let's be intentional in what we do, where we spend our time, the words we say, the people we associate with, uh, because we have an opportunity to change people's eternity. And man, I, I, I love that because it reminds me every day, hey, this moment matters. This conversation matters. This letter matters. And every decision we make in the forming of a habit matters. Those strands weave over time and get stronger in a positive or a negative sense. That's right. And there's not that it's not that there's not grace there, Jim. You know, yeah. I think about, you know, heroes of the Bible. Look, you know, David made a mistake. Moses made a mistake. You know, so there's a still opportunity. You're not determined by the singular action. However, you can uh, emerge from that action to be even better than before. Oh, that's good. To emerge from that action to be better than before. That's really good, man. So, hey, here's a fun question for me. If I gave you $20,000, but the with a caveat that you had to spend it on at least a two-week vacation with your wife, where oh, would wow. you and Virginia go and what would you do? Okay, so two weeks, Virginia, Jennabeth, and I. Um, Jennabeth right now would be telling me she's always wanted to go to Ireland. And so she would say, let's do some kind of tour of the British Isles and see Ireland. And because my wife is very smart, I would say, you bet, babe. Uh, yes, ma'am. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> so uh, that's a little bit of a bucket list thing that hopefully we'll get to do at some point. So I'd say that would be my uh, very smart answer that 34 years of marriage would tell oh, me. Oh, and, <laughs> and then 27 years of marriage, my answer would be something like wherever Shanna wants to go. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> she would want to say she would want to go to the, one of those uh, those uh, grass huts in Tahiti off of a dock and stay in those grass oh, huts. Oh yeah, that would be her deal, I think. And so, I, I, although she's turning fifty, she wants to go to Rome, and so oh, yeah. and she's a flight attendant, so we can actually jump on a plane and just fly over there. So we'll see. <laughs> it's like right, lifestyles of the rich and famous for you, right? You got your own airplane; it takes you wherever you want to go. Yeah, only oh. we're poor and notorious. <laughs> 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 oh man hey i've got a question for you scott you know uh just uh i vetted you with uh, our friend cj stewart and and just uh hearing your bio i mean you definitely are a a man that's flying above a lot of the crowd and and but still remaining humble uh, i'm sure you've made a lot of great decisions along the way that has put you in this great position in life but if you were to go back and talk to your 20 year old self so you're going to travel back you're 56 now yes sir. so 26 years in history am i right on the math there no i'm not Am I right on the math? <laughs> anyway, we're going to go back and talk to your 20-year-olds. I'm a people person, not a numbers person. 20-year-old uh, self, what piece of advice are you going to give that guy? Wow, uh, man, that's a mouthful. I, I will need more than one piece of advice ah. for that 20-year-old knucklehead for sure. Um, you know, I think if I had the, just the one statement I would tell that guy, um, I would say it's give grace. Um, I think so many times uh, as I grew up, that I just assumed that I had to have the right answer. 
because of this persona of what a man was supposed to be, uh, that maybe I wasn't as teachable as I should have been. And because I had to have that front, so to speak, then what I did was I did not assume the best about others and did not give them grace mm. where necessary. And I think if I would have done those things, I think it would have softened my heart to be a better learner. Uh, and then therefore the life lessons that I learned, they wouldn't have been quite such a, you know, knots on my head, so to speak. They would have been maybe a little bit more of a pat on the back. Wow, that's interesting. So Scott, you said that you had a persona of what a man is supposed to be. Okay, how has that changed versus now? What? How was that persona? What was the lie in that persona? What did you? What was a man supposed to be then? What have you discovered he is now? Well, I, I think the lie um, it was the the vulnerability. You know, I felt that there I was always supposed to be right. I could never be vulnerable. I could never raise my hand and say I don't understand. Help me. Um, and I think because of that, because I lived in that lie and assumption then you would just navigate life based on your limited experience. And as a 20-year-old, 30-year-old, I mean, even as a 50-year-old, there's areas where I have very limited experience. And if I don't raise my hand and say, look, I need some help in this area. Can you teach me and coach me? Uh, I'm never going to become the man God wants me to be. So I'd say that brings kind of full circle. I felt like that's the one thing I'd want to tell myself. I'm writing this down because this is so powerful. Raise your hand. You know, this is really interesting. One of the things I've learned, uh, Scott, with this ministry, this ministry is really starting to explode, and the only reason it's exploding is I've went to guys like you, and I've raised my hand and said, we don't have the answers. Will you help us? Come and help us. Help. And what I've learned is this is really interesting, Scott. Speak to this. I have learned that a lot of these higher-level men in life don't get asked the question, People assume they don't want to help. And what we've realized is when it comes to manhood is when you raise your hand and have the humility to say, I need help, men are more than willing and actually looking for other guys to lock shields with. Have you found that to be true or false? Oh, absolutely. I found that to be true, that when you take the first step of vulnerability, I think it releases in others a willingness to say, hey, I understand. And now that you've done that, hey, we can come together and say, hey, individually, we don't have the answer, but collectively, we can determine next steps for people, you know, particularly even as a pilot. You know, Jim, what's the, la- the last thing in the world I think you would want as a pilot would be somebody who isn't willing to say, I don't know the answer. How do I <laughs> land this thing? <laughs> That's right. They ask the question, look at the tech manual, ask the other pilot, and let's get the right answer before we put a bunch of people at risk. Well, the funny <laughs> thing is Shanna just got back from her uh, block flying, and the 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 the, uh, the co-pilot, they call him the first, what do they call him, the first mate? First, first officer. First officer. He, right. he landed the plane. It was first ever time landing. Okay. And so beforehand, he told the FAs, he said, hey, I'm good. this is my first time, I'm a little nervous. And so they landed, and he was like, how'd that go? And they were like, it's okay. And, but it got better and better. But he was he was able to come to the flight attendants and say, hey, just to let you know, I'm the new guy in town. And they were able to extend him grace and just say, and encourage him on the way. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely, because 20-year-old me would have never gone to your wife and said that. I would have used a bravado of saying, oh, I got this. I'm the and, man. You know, 
I'm the man. That's right. <laughs> oh man, this I'm having so much fun on this podcast. I think it's a sin. Hey, let's do this. Let's do this, Scott. Before I jump into a few of these questions I have for you, why don't you tell us a little bit of your story? You've got a pretty incredible story, and you've accomplished some wonderful things. Tell us your personal story, your personal life, things you enjoy, hobbies, whatever is appropriate for our men to get a context of who you are. Sure. Uh, you know, c- primarily as a, as a kid grew up in the southeast, my dad worked for the Federal Aviation Administration, so we moved around a pretty good bit. Um, I ultimately kind of landed in, in Birmingham, Alabama, graduated from high school there, went to college at the University of Alabama, got a journalism degree because I was convinced I was going to be the next great sports writer. <laughs> uh, married my wife, Jennabeth, right after college and uh, referenced earlier, we moved to Atlanta and uh, went to work for the Atlanta Hawks. Working in public relations, so my job was to write press releases and take uh, players to interviews and signings, uh, autograph signings and things like that. And enjoyed that job. I mean, a guy that loves sports, it was a fun, fun job. I did realize pretty quickly, though, that they pay people to play basketball. They don't really pay people a lot of money to write about basketball. Yeah. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to take care of my family, I probably need something different in career. And so as I would drive to work every day, I drove down Peachtree Street and went past the Air Force recruiting office. And um, my dad had been in the Navy, been around airplanes all my life. And I thought, well, I'm just going to stop in there and talk to those guys and find out what it would take to go be a pilot. Um, I don't advise this. I did this without telling my wife in advance. <laughs> um, but got off. <laughs> yeah, pray for me. Uh, we uh, got all that information, drove home, and kind of began to unwrap to my wife, hey, I really think I'd like to go be this uh, guy that flies airplanes in the Air Force. Um, Jennabeth was great, asked me a lot of questions that I didn't know the answers to, went back and got them. We ultimately jumped into the Air Force and did that for about 28 years or so, flying airplanes and and loved it, Uh, then retired from that. And as you had mentioned earlier, transitioned to coming on staff at Pine Lake Church. I'd had the pleasure of being a member here for for several years and being an elder on the staff before I came on to serve as the director of staff today. Um, I'd say the other part of that story I always like to include was – I had a, a godly mom and dad who are still with us today, and uh, they they raised me. Uh, my dad taught me the scriptures. My mom taught me the scriptures. I just We would say at Pine Lake, grew up on third base. If you think about a baseball analogy, spiritually, I grew up on third base. Wow. And so all really I had to do was almost fall down to get to home. Um, so second grade Sunday school class at Dogwood Hills Baptist <laughs> Church uh, presented the plan of salvation to me, told the Sunday school teacher, man, I'm a sinner. I want to be saved. And and walked forward and accepted Christ, was baptized that night, and uh, then have been on a spiritual journey ever since. So that's a, that's a little snapshot that wow. would be on my uh, rookie baseball card. Oh, I love it. I love the sports analogy. So in your bio, you said, uh, you said this, that you had, quote, extensive combat experience. Okay, I've got to ask, can you uh, elaborate? Yeah, so I'm, you know, since you know, I joined the Air Force in 1987. So uh, whether that was a Desert Storm uh, flying um, combat uh, sorties in Desert Storm, or then obviously in some of our more recent engagements in Afghanistan or Iraq, even even going back to opportunities to fly in Somalia and Kosovo, uh, yeah, I've had the opportunity to, to fly combat sorties associated with all of those actions, and and certainly you know it shapes you. Uh, you talked about C.J. Stewart before, and any of our veterans uh, combat is, is just a different type of opportunity to excel and to grow and so uh yeah it was a privilege to be able to lead men and women in those arenas what what planes did you fly 
Uh, early on, it was C-141, so uh, four-engine jet kind of transport after that, transitioned to C-17s, again, a four-engine kind of strategic and tactical airlifter that would do everything from a combat drop of uh, guys like uh, Navy SEALs, Navy Development Group guys, to Green Berets, to everything that's just strategic in nature, like a you know an airliner flying in supplies to a, to a base. Wow. So I know that you're limited in what you can share here, but your experience on Air Force One, how did you get to that place? And can you share some general experiences? Sure. Uh, you know, it's funny. It's so much of what happens in life is about relationships. And so oh, yeah. I had flown airplanes with a guy at Charleston Air Force Base and we became friends. He ultimately took a job at the Pentagon where it was his responsibility to kind of advertise and recruit people to come to work for Air Force One. And I was I was stationed uh, at Altus Air Force Base in Oklahoma at the time. He called me on the phone and said, hey, Scott, this opportunity is coming up with Air Force One. I think you'd be really good at it. I think you should put in a package and, and apply. And so I was dumb enough to believe that I could <laughs> put in an application, uh, went and interviewed. And ultimately what Air Force One does is, at that time anyway, Jim, they had kind of four primary pilots, but then they hired some additional guys that our principal responsibility was to kind of handle logistics for the movement of the president, Air Force One, Marine One, and White House staff and Secret Service staff. And so that was my primary role, uh, was not necessarily in the cockpit during those years, but was was out of the cockpit. Um, but yeah, interviewed, got the job, uh, and then uh, kind of joined the circus is what we say at that point. <laughs> it really is, you know, a movement of the president is quite a circus. And so we loved it. Uh, you know, great stories. I think just the unpredictability um, of the president, the, you know, the leader of the free world, having to be places um, predictable at times, but then unpredictable at times. So it wouldn't be uncommon that you're sitting at home on Thursday night planning for the weekend and you get a call, hey, the president's got to go here. Uh, you fly there, got to get there in advance, make sure the, the place is ready to go and, and prepare for the stop. Um, it, you know, I'll tell you a couple of little quick stories with that. So one, <laughs> certainly, I mean, I've worked primarily for President Clinton and uh, I found him to be a great boss. I found him to be a great champion of the military um, and, and appreciated what he certainly did for me and my family. But I remember on one stop, we were going to Ohio and Senator John Glenn was on the plane. And, you know, being a pilot and being a kind of a nerdy kid that loved the space industry, I mean, that's John Glenn, for yeah. crying out loud. And so I <laughs> thought, well, here's President Clinton, but I really want to talk to John Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. So, so things like that were fun. And like I said, going to a lot of different places, seeing a lot of different things, um, whether it would be a natural disaster or the, you know, a summit that the president was having with other world leaders. Um, or something as pedestrian as he would go out to the West Coast and do a political stop, but then go visit Chelsea while she was at, at college out there on the West Coast. All of that was uh, was pretty enlightening. Man, that is that is exciting. So when you flew, you had fighter jets next to you, I'm assuming? Yeah, what we would do is that time is, um, you know, there were, depending on where you were going, you had different kinds of levels of support and security along the way. If you were in the States, it would be one level of security. If you were outside the continental United States, it would be different levels of security. So uh, you certainly had uh, everything you would need at your disposal to protect the president. I'll say it that way. Oh, I'm sure you did. Yeah, you, we had a guy on our podcast who's an American Airlines pilot, Jeff Andreessen, and he told a story of flying Buzz Aldrin one time, and Buzz came oh, in the flight deck, and like you were, he was like in awe. <laughs> absolutely. Forget the president. I mean, you think about it, there's 
there's been a lot of presidents, but there ain't been a whole lot of guys that walked on the moon, for goodness sake. Yeah, so that's Buzz a good Aldrin, yeah, pretty good deal. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, hey, you know what, Scott, you have, you know, been in leadership most of your adult life. So here's a question I have for you. How would you, everybody has a definition of leadership. How would you define leadership? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think uh, there's there's a few components that I think would, would mark particularly me for leadership. You know, I think one would be, you know, a man who is willing to step up and lead by example, um, not necessarily lead by word, but lead by action. Um, I found the people that I resonated the most with weren't necessarily guys that gave the stirring speech, but they were more quiet in their leadership. And as I watched them, as they went, as we go, so to speak, I was inspired by how they actually performed their task. And so I think that's a huge component for leadership for me. I think taking ownership, um, which in a lot of ways sometimes concerns me, Jim, in our culture, it seems that people will deflect and not take ownership. And I think you have to be willing to be a person that takes responsibility, not only for your own actions, but the actions of those that you lead. And not in a manner where you cast blame or you're disparaging somebody's character, but you're saying, man, I've been put here with this responsibility and it's all on me and it's all under me. Um, so I think those are two huge components for me of just one, hands and feet, uh, but then two, hey, I own it all. Uh, and because I own it all, I'm willing to accept it all, both the good and the bad. Man, that's good. Hey, we're going to take a short break, hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back, be right back at you. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with a mission to help men become their best version and change their world. The war to change your world is epic. Every battle counts, and every man in the arena matters. Our closed Facebook forum for men, appropriately called Men in the Arena, is a great way for you to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today. Hey, because of my passion to see men get out of the bleachers into the arena, I want to offer a free resource to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Simply give us your email. We'll send you a PDF copy of the field guide. This is my 365-day bathroom book for men. It's a study of manly words in the Bible illustrated with great stories. This is a great resource for all of our arena men. Guys, you're going to love this book. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those in the anonymous bleachers pleading for you to get in the arena today? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. You know, this is really good, uh, Scott. Uh, I have a book I read. You've probably read it too. It's a secular book by a guy named Jocko Willink. Oh, yeah. Who was a Navy SEAL, and he wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. Extreme Ownership. And mm -hmm. in that book, he talked about that exact same, taking ownership and being willing to take responsibility not only for your actions, but for the actions of others who are under you. And that's mm -hmm. really, really good, man. And I, I thought it was really interesting that you said the other thing that impacts you, impacted you about leadership is willing to step up and lead by example and to take action. And I think that is a really, really and that positive. And that flows with a, a book I read recently. I've actually read it two or three times, and it's a secular book. The author is is does not profess, at least he didn't when I read the book, he did not profess, profess faith. A guy named Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great. Have you heard of this book? Yes, sir, I have, and, and read read Jim's book. Found found plenty of jewels in that to, to pick up, for sure. Well, and it was really interesting, because in his book, Collins has five... This is research where they researched 
top level, top performing companies in the world, and they 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 wanted to find out what made these companies go from a good company to a great company. And one of the things they found across the board was that they described it as a, a level five leader. And so the level five leader actually possessed two major qualities. And here they are, quote, extreme personal humility and uh, intense personal will. And Collins goes on to write, they were self-effacing individuals who displayed fierce resolve to do whatever needed to be done to make the company great. And so going back to your definition of leadership, I thought that was interesting because there's an element of humility. So we, we, we look at this persona of a leader as this guy, you know, you know, the king of Rohan riding up and down with his horse and his sword, you know, we're going to kill him, you know, we're going to take Middle Earth and this great speech. But what the truth is, is, is that leader actually, it's about what happened before all that and about his, his humility. What, what do you think about humility as it regards to leadership? You know, those, those are fantastic and powerful words. I would say this. I think the level of self-awareness of a leader is, is highly, highly important. And Jim, candidly, most of the rooms I've ever walked in, I'm just not the smartest guy at the table. And, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think we do have, you know, me, you, and Dale, we've got some unique gifts to offer. I think we're part of the team for a reason. But if, if we're waiting on me, to come up with the best idea and the answer, we're going to be waiting a long, long time. <laughs> yeah. But I do love the collaborative idea of being a part of it. And I think at the point where we as men and leaders can put down the fact that I don't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer, I don't have to have the answer, yet I do have a contribution to make. Um, oftentimes what we would say uh, in one section of the military, particularly if you've got the active duty Air Force in there and Marines and Navy and different people at the table, you may come into the room with eight different opinions. But when we leave, we've got one answer. And that idea, I think, goes to the humility. I don't have to have the right answer. I just want to be a part of what the right answer is. And at the point where I can lay down my agenda, my bents, my prejudices, and, and arrive at what ultimately is going to solve a problem, man. I, I want to be on that bus. You know, that's the key, I think, too. I, I agree with that 100% because it's not the, the tip of the spear that matters. It's the whole spear. It's what mm. can we do as a conglomeration? What can we do as a team? And uh, there's a humility when you walk into a room, and I'm the same way as you. I have a mantra. A friend of mine, Jeff Voth, really helped me with this. He has a ministry called Cave Time out of uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And one of his mantra is, you belong here. So even if you're not the smartest guy in the room, you're in the room and you belong here. And that has really helped me to realize it's about synergizing the team and being part of a bigger vision, which is really leadership, right? It's taking a group from one point to another point. You and I have a mutual friend. He's been on our show, CJ Stewart. And uh, I called him before I interviewed you because I did not know who you were, and he recommended you to me. And I asked him, I said, Tell me about Scott Wiggins. And here's what he said. He Good. said, he's the most humble man I've ever met. He said that Scott, and this is really, this is a, this is a huge accolade for you, Scott. He said, when Scott walks into the room and when you talk to Scott, he rarely uses personal pronouns. 
he he avoids the word I, me, or my, or mine. And so I thought that was huge. In fact, that statement was so huge for me, Scott. In the month leading up to this interview, I have really been focusing on removing those personal pronouns from my life. So can you speak to me about that and why? Do you do that on purpose or is that something that just is, uh, overflows out of a humble heart? Well, you know, I'm very gracious for CJ to say those things, and I hope in some way I, I model I- any of that. Um, you know, I'm sure we're all affected by our experiences. I found my dad to be an incredibly humble man and my mom as well, and so I think a lot of that uh, affected me. I-, I think another thing that affected me, Jim, I-, I worked for a guy at Pine Lake by the name of Tim Smith, and I've never met anyone who asks better questions than Tim. Uh, he never comes in and tells you what he thinks. He asks you questions. Now, ultimately, I mean, he's, he's leading us all as our, our senior executive pastor. So, I mean, he'd come in and tell you. Yet, the way he shapes things and helps you find the right answer, I found incredibly uh, energizing. I found it incredibly helpful. And so I've tried to model myself behind the idea of asking people effective questions. Again, I'll go back to the fact that I don't believe I have the right answers, but I believe I can be part of a solution. And so I just try to empower people to bring their gifts to the table. Because I just love that idea of team. I love that idea of us accomplishing and pursuing a vision uh, for the betterment of all um, so I'm not sure that I answered your question other than I just talked for two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so in that book again with Jim Collins, Good to Great, he writes this, and I thought this goes back to our initial thought. Level five leaders channel their ego away from themselves and into the larger goal, larger goal of building a great company. It's not that the level five leaders have no ego. Indeed, they are incredibly ambitious, but their ambition is first and foremost for the institution and not themselves, which is what you're saying, is is that leadership is about the vision or it's about the mission, not the man. I think that's what you're saying, correct? Yeah. I wish I would have said it your way. You sound a lot lot better. I was just (laughs) quoting somebody else. I wouldn't say it that. (laughs) Remember, I'm not bringing too much to the table, but Collins has a lot to bring to the table. (laughs) No, I I would completely agree with that. And look, let's just be honest, Jim. I mean, I do believe I have the right answer when I'm in the room. <laughs> yeah. I'm arrogant enough to believe that, that, hey, I think I can solve this. And so I certainly have to check check my opinion, check my arrogance, check my pride at the door, say, okay, now it's a part of all of us. And there's that war that rages in us. You know, I tell people all the time that in my role currently at Pine Lake as the director of staff, you know, there's, you know, if we work five days a week, I love my job four days and three quarters every week. And there's a quarter of the week where I'm like, man, I want to do it my way. I have the right answer. Why don't all you people just listen to me and we'll be outstanding. Yet I realize in the, the folly in that is I'm limited to my experiences. I'm limited to my knowledge and my acumen. And as a publicly educated guy, we're probably not going to get real far with that. So better come back to collaboration. Oh, man. Well, so... Going back to some of the things that you've mentioned so far in leadership, you talked about uh, humility, you talked about uh, common vision slash collaboration, and you talked about taking responsibility. As a man in the arena, you know, our guys are driving to work, listen to this podcast, they're uh, anywhere from 25 to 55 years as a general range of men, they're trying to figure out this obscure mysterious concept of spiritual leadership. This is a mystery in the church. 
I'm called to be a spiritual leader, but what does that mean? How do you translate some of these uh, leadership concepts of humility, collaboration, vision, responsibility? How do you translate those into leading a household? You know, Jim, I think there's some low-hanging fruit that mm. is very practical for everyone, that it's it's not as complicated as most people would make, make it out to be. And here's the way I would describe it. Most men have an understanding or an expectation that they have to be a theological giant to lead their family. And candidly, that's a lie of the world. You know, all I've got to do is be on the journey, be in the arena, as you describe every week, willing to fight for my family. Now, certainly, I think there's some tools and resources that we need to equip ourselves in doing that. We mentioned it from the beginning. Look, this morning I got up and I made sure I was in God's Word Yep. because He has said that that Word is, is going to sharpen me. He has said that that is my most tactical way to pursue Him so that I can apply it to my life and then apply it to others. And so if, if you're not in God's Word on your own, and I guess I want to emphasize something, I love that I have a senior pastor, and Chip Henderson is a gifted communicator, gifted pastor and shepherd. But if I'm counting on Chip to be the person that interprets the Scripture for me, I think I have failed as a leader. Um, Wayne Cordero wrote a book, uh, The Divine Mentor. And in that book, he talks about how, you know, our mentor, we have great mentors. You know, Jim, you mentor people and Dale mentors people, and, and I do as well. But my mentor spiritually needs to start and begin with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Yep. Okay? So I think guys can do that. You don't have to be a theological giant to jump into God's Word every day and read it and try to grab some morsel in there and then ask the Holy Spirit, hey, help me understand that and tell me how that applies in my life. I think, obviously, you've got to be a man of prayer. Now, look, prayer can start with you for 30 seconds yep. just saying, Lord, Holy Spirit, fill me up today and help me to hear from you. And it can graduate to anything. Uh, but I would encourage men to do more than pray windshield praying, not just when yep. you're in the car driving because you can be distracted, but somehow, some way, commit some time in prayer. And then the third component of that is being in community, being around other men, other believers who can sharpen you so that you can do those things and read your family. It, it sounds intimidating because I think there can be this concept that if I don't have a degree from uh, Southeastern Christian, or if I don't have a degree from New Orleans or one of these great seminaries, that that I'm failing in some in some sense, and that's just it's just not true. Look at the twelve disciples. Well, you know, I guess look at the eleven disciples. Unlearned men is what the Bible says they were, but but they were connected to the they were connected to Jesus Christ. Here we are. We can be unlearned, but we can be connected to the Holy Spirit through His Word. You said some stuff here that is that is really deep, and I want to take a moment and unpack it. Patrick Morley, David Delk, and Brett Clemmer, who will be on our podcast uh, next week. Brett is a CEO of Man in the Mirror. Okay. They wrote a book called No Man Left Behind. And in that book, they said this. I thought it was really interesting. They said one out of 18 men nationally is involved in some kind of community or brotherhood with other men. One out of seven men in the church is involved in a community with other men. So in the church, only one in seven men. Mm. So in a church of uh, you know ten thousand, let's say, you've got a very small number of men that are not connected, that are are connected. And you said that that's a real key ingredient, which I agree whole 
wholeheartedly. And I think there's a tactical element that men need to initiate. And you said this, that we need to be, you said, quote, we need to be tactical about being in the word. And I, I, let's unpack that, Scott. We need to be tactical about being in the Word because the Bible actually tells us to wash our wives in the Word, not the other way around. And I thought this is really interesting. And I'm, I'm going to give you a quote here. This is a kind of a mantra I have, and I want you to unpack it for me when it comes to the tactical awareness of men and spiritual leadership. Men, here's my little mantra, men don't defer. Men delegate, but they don't defer. Can you unpack your initial thoughts about that? No, and I think, you know, unpacking that based on the conversation that we previously had. Here's what I would say. The, there can be a strategic way that you think about how I'm going to grow as a, as, a, as a man that's leading my family. However, sometimes those rocks are so big, you just don't have a handle to pick up, and you find year after year after year, you're in the exact same place. And so then what you've done is you have, you've deferred, you've abdicated your responsibility because you don't know where to start. Yes. So you have to tactically find, okay, I'm going to take this hill. I'm going to take this ground. I'm going to make this one additional step. Yeah. And the one additional step can be, like you said, whether it's the uh, read the Bible through in a year, the one year Bible reading plan or whatever those are. Hey, I can do that. Um, I listened to a podcast by the name of uh, by Craig Rochelle recently, and Craig talked about instead of having five goals for the year, just have one. Yeah, do one thing and let's be excellent at it. And I think that that goes to your idea of man, we we don't we don't just defer things. We're responsible for taking the leadership in our own lives and for our family. Well, and I think the problem with guys like me who speak to men or who podcast to men, and I, I acknowledge this is a problem is that we tend to overwhelm men. So I say to a man, I'm a 53-year-old man who's been serving Christ for 30 years in full-time ministry most of that time, married to the same woman for almost 27 years. Uh, So I'm coming out from my perspective, which is way different than another man's perspective, and oftentimes guys can get overwhelmed. And so I, I try to hesitate in saying, do X, Y, and Z, because for that man listening, if he can just do one tactical thing to move him down the road as a leader. And for that man, it may be, I'm going to pray for the meals and with my family. I'm, that's, that, may, that one thing may be huge for him. Or it may be, hey, I'm not going to read the Bible to my wife. I don't even read it to me. I'm going to start reading the Bible. Or it could, could be, I'm going to start going to church. <laughs> you know, it, it, For that man... What is the one thing, and you said it earlier, and I love the analogy. I, I've got this word picture in my head. Raise your hand and and ask somebody to help you with one thing. No, pre, I mean, preach. Pre, keep saying that because you're <laughs> right. I mean, do that one thing, and then after that, continue to build on it. Don't be satisfied. You know what, you know what movie that reminds me of, don't you? Come on <laughs> now, yeah. City Slickers. <laughs> Remember that with Curly? It's one thing. That one thing. What's the one thing? You know, and that's, and I, you know, I I know with, even in in my journey and Scott, even in your journey, I mean, we're still trying to love our women. We're still trying to love our kids. We're still trying to love our grandkids. We're still trying to impact our communities. And the Bible says in Philippians 1 6 that I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So if that's the case, God is strategic about my life and has, and is implementing tactics to move me down that road, 
And I need to realize I'm in the journey, although my journey may be different than yours, I'm still on a journey. Yeah. And, and arming yourself, as you said, Jim, along the way, um, I was listening to a sermon recently, uh, I think it was titled Storms of Life out of Acts 27, and and uh, that guy, uh, I think his name is Dale, was talking about how men are <laughs> called to endure. And you know, I've heard the phrase before that if Satan can get you alone, he's got you half eaten. And if we're, if we're armed with God's word, if we're armed with community, if we're armed with taking those tactical steps, if you, as you've given us great examples for, just one step forward. Hey, today I'm going to pray for my wife. Hey, tomorrow I'm going to read God's word for myself, man. Then all of a sudden we're not alone. We're not isolated anymore. So uh, I think we've got, we've got win, in our, win, our, win in our sights. You know what's interesting, Scott? Um, I've got a pretty solid prayer life. I've got a pretty committed devotional life. And I'm not going to share what that is because our men don't need to know. But I was convicted. I led a, our, our church's men's retreat this weekend. And for the first time in my life, I realized something. I do not systematically pray for my friends. Hmm. I systematically pray for my wife, for my children, for my, my son's future wives, my granddaughter, but I don't systematically pray for my wife, my friends. And, and God whispered to me this weekend, hey, Jim, your friends need you to do that every day of the week. And I've got a friend, Rick Robinson, who prays for me every day in his hot tub. He just, that's what he does. Every day he prays for me and a couple other guys. And so here I am, and God is whispering to me, okay, Jim, I've got a new tactical way for you to impact your world pray for your friends. So we're on this journey. So talk to me. You, you, you ran over this really fast, and I want to slow you down a little bit. You said arming yourself along the way. Can you walk us through what that looks like again? I think that was really, really important. Yeah, I, I just think there's, a, there's a, a way that we go about the progression, and even think about it academically. So, um, you know, when you study to be a doctor, you study to be a journalist, there's a way that you're walking yourself through that, right? There's, there's the 101, the 201, and the 301, and the 401 classes and those things. Well, obviously, you've got a university system behind you telling you how to do that. Well, similarly, we as men, for some reason, we think just inherently when we accept Christ that we automatically are supposed to know those things. Why would we assume that? Yeah. Uh, the folly of that, likewise, is just ridiculous. There, there's other men around you that can help you along the way, and you take from those gentlemen and grow systematically, whether that's you know all the things that we outlined, reading God's Word, praying, coming around other believers, and then expanding that, You know whether that's being generous with the resources that God's given you, whether that's making sure that you see others along the way somehow missionally, and seeing could be the guy in the office next door to you, or it could be the, the other parent on the soccer field beside you. You know, making sure that you lift up your eyes and see that, man, God's given me a gift. I want to share that gift with others. Um, I saw a video clip, and it's been several years ago. Uh, and it was the magician. Uh, I can't remember if it was Penn or Teller. And I don't know if a lot of guys have seen that before. I think it was the, the Penn gentleman. And he talked about, and he is not a believer. He talked about how someone gave him a copy of a New Testament after one of his shows, and um, he commented how he didn't believe in the Bible and he doesn't believe in Jesus Christ or anything. But he made this statement. He said, but you know what? This is the first believer that's ever come up to me, thanked me for my show, and gave me something. And he said, he said I want you to think about this, Christians. He said, how much do you have to hate someone? not to tell them about the hope of Jesus Christ if you really believe in it. Whoa. And I was stunned by that comment, but also, uh, you know, ashamed a little bit, 
but empowered to say, you know what? I want to make sure everybody knows about the hope and the love that I've got for them. Wow, that that's powerful. <laughs> well, you know, it goes back to the, one of the things that I'm really passionate about in the last couple of months is this thing I'm calling the sin of anonymity. Hmm. It's the greatest sin of omission of our time, and it's the sin of the man in the bleachers. Ah. And the Bible, the, the problem with my men in the arena analogy is that God has not wired us to stay in the bleachers. The bleachers should be empty or only filled with a crowd of witnesses, Hebrews 12.1. We should all be in the arena. If we're not in the arena, you know, that one in seven men who are connected, those other six got to get in the arena. You know, we're yeah. in trouble. And you said something... Man, now I know where CJ gets all his great quotes because you are the quote man. Maybe it's a Mississippi thing. Maybe I should go over there and drink some of that water, huh? You said this. You said, and this is so good, Scott. You just kind of flew over at 35,000 feet, but I want to slow down here. You said, you take from those gentlemen and grow systematically. Again, you're saying, raise your hand. Raise your hand and say, I don't have all the answers. I'm here in the room. Can you help me along in the journey? Do you have any guys you do that with on a systematic basis? Yeah, there's still, you know, I, I love the fact that uh, there's an Air National Guard base here in the city of Jackson, and I was connected to that base for a number of years. And so there's still an affinity for me for particularly young Air Force officers uh, that I get a chance to, to mentor and develop. My role at Pine Lake uh, as the, in a lot of ways, pastor to the staff, Part of my responsibility is the training, equipping, and developing of, of our ministerial staff and pastoring their families. And so, yes, by job description, but but really more than that, Jim, just by love uh, mm. that I've got these these young men and women that get to be a part of our staff, and I get to step in and figure out how I can help them do uh, what God's called them to do uniquely. Look, you don't want me to be a worship pastor, and you probably don't want me to be your children's <laughs> pastor. But at least maybe I can help somebody who does have those gifts grow in a unique way. And so, yeah, I, um, plenty of opportunities, and I love every minute of it. You know, you said something there that kind of struck a chord with me, hit me in the hit a nerve. You said you said the word love, and I think when we talk about leadership, we talk about humility, we talk about spiritual leadership for our family. There's when you talk about your magician, the magician uh, videotape. There's a love component. There's a love that leads me to share. There's a love that leads me to refuse deferring. There's a love that leads me to refusing and rejecting the sin of anonymity so that I can be known and that I can be put on display for the kingdom of God. And so how, how, does that, how has love affected how you live your life and how you lead? Well, you know, for oftentimes for us, there's there are those moments, you know, there's, there's fulcrum moments in life where I think love kind of screamed at me, so to speak. And I won't go to the expansive story, but I had a friend by the name of Leroy Homer that was the first officer on United 93 that crashed on September 11th. And uh, I had known Leroy for a number of years. We flew airplanes in the Air Force together. We were great friends. We were deployed together at times. I could tell you about Leroy's wife and kids. I could tell you about what he liked for a meal. Uh, but Jim, I can't tell you where he spends eternity today. Oh man! Because I never asked him. Oh and, wow! And I just stepped away from that. And certainly, there was a a part of my life that I was embarrassed and ashamed about that. But what God has brought to my attention was Scott. I allowed that to happen to teach you a lesson that I never want you to leave a relationship or an opportunity to tell people that you love them and tell them that I love them. And um, and and so I think that was really the catalyst for me that. Uh, 
you know, whether it's on the phone with a friend of mine, like a CJ Stewart or going to be like you and Dale now, it's like, man, I love you. Thank you for what you do in my life. And man, be blessed as you go. You know, you've said something that resonates. I mean, you're saying a lot of things. I mean, I feel like we got a great chemistry here. We need to talk some more on the phone and maybe grab a cup of coffee. But, um, I think one of the things that we do in our family is we do not leave the room without ever saying, I love you. So when one of my sons visits or my wife is leaving to go fly, I love you. We say it all the time. We say it so often it's boring, to be honest with you. (laughs) To say I love you in our family is boring because here's why. You never know when that I love you will be the last. (laughs) And so I want to end with that. And I I need to get better with my buddies. I'm struggling with that. That's a little bit weird for me, but you know, I, you're right. We need to get, we need to, we need to end our conversations with something that says, I love you. Got your back, bro. You know, Hey, if you need anything, buddy, I'm here for you. Something that says, I love you. Cause you never know when that I love you will be your last. Man. Great word. You know, you think about Christ. What did he do is he's, he's, he's leaving his disciples. He tells them, man, I love you. Um, and I'm coming back for you. Um, so, man, yeah, I'm very, very thankful for that example and thankful that I got brothers around me. Now get your sandals off. Let me wash those stinky feet. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, man. I might have to grow in that area, huh? <laughs> hey, yeah, man. I'm a, I'll need some help. <laughs> hey, I, you know what, uh, Scott? This has been so stinking fun. I think it might have been a sin. But anyway. <laughs> hey, uh, man, it was a great time. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm having fun. We're going to get you on again, man. So, hey, how can our men in the arena get a hold of you? I know that some of these guys might have questions. Is there a, an email that you respond to regularly? Yeah, a- absolutely. Uh, my first name Scott, common spelling, S-C-O-T-T, uh, dot Wiggins, W-I-G-G-I-N-S, at pinelake.org. Uh, man, hit me on that. Love to connect with anybody that's uh, a part of the ministry there. And, and Jim, well done. Uh, well done. Thank you for what you do. Thankful for the, the service that you do to, uh, to all of us for the kingdom. Hey, I appreciate it, man. I bet you my buddy Jeff Andresian is going to be reaching out to you. He's got you guys can st- share. Uh, you can share astronaut stories. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Hey Scott, thanks so much for coming on the show, taking the time to share your wisdom and experience our man in the arena. And and Scott, thank you for being a man in the arena yourself. God bless you, my brother. Thank you. Hey guys, our boots on the ground moment from today is going to be this. Very very simple. I want you uh, this week. We'll send this out in our equipping blast. And if you're listening right now, as you are, you'll hear it. I want you to th- do this. I want you to raise your hand. So this week, ask a guy you respect to help you in that one thing. Be humble and just just raise your hand. There are men out there who are honored to help you, but you have got to raise your hand. Guys, we'll also post the Boots on the Ground action item in our weekly equipping blast. Subscribe to it by going to meninthearena.org, and we'll send it along with the electronic version of our field guide, which is a 365-day bathroom book for men. Arena men, you've been listening to the Man in the Arena podcast. We've got some amazing resources to throw your way as you walk and become the best version of you. If you haven't done so yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast or join the Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum with men from 85 nations on the forum that explains manhood, and it's a wonderful dialogue. The last thing I want you to do is sign up online if you haven't done so yet to receive our free weekly equipping blast. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Fly high, men. Raise your hands. Grind it out. And be a man. 
This is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world on our closed Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. In our passion to help all arena men, we're offering an excellent free resource when you visit our homepage at meninthearena.org. Simply give us your email, and we'll send you a free PDF version of Jim's book for men called The Field Guide, a bathroom book for men. It's a daily study of manly words in the Bible explained with great stories. Thank you for listening to this episode the Men in the Arena podcast. This is Dale Culver signing off. Until next time, thank you for joining men in the arena from around the world who are becoming their best version. And remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.